Welcome to another episode of Bear Minds. Uh, in today's episode, we'll be talking to Ryan Evans, former Navy SEAL and current senior project manager at the North Face. After serving 11 years in the Navy, he got his MBA at Haas, and he's joining us today to enlighten us about the parallels between business thinking and military strategy. Um, Ryan and I met through a mutual friend about a week ago, and he's about as meta as I am from what I can tell, so hopefully we'll get to see a bit of that side from you today. So Ryan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Happy to be here. Thanks Uh, for the invite. uh, I mean, I've given you a pretty brief introduction, but could you tell us a bit more about your background in the Navy SEALs and what you're doing at North Face right now? Sure. So my childhood dream was always to serve in the military. I didn't know exactly how, but I knew that I wanted to have these adventures overseas, feel the camaraderie, and feel like I was connected to something bigger than myself. But it was when I was a sophomore in high school, I read a book about the SEAL teams, and that really sealed the deal for me. So. Kind of that became the first thing in my life that was really totally my idea. You know, my parents had made sure I was doing a bunch of sports and other activities, and I did them and enjoyed them, but was pretty casual in in those things, and after a while, I I wasn't doing them anymore. But when I set my mind on this, you know, I was just a kind of a scrawny, scrawny kid with good athletics and you know athleticism but had a lot to do in order to make it into the program alone i mean getting into the seals is arguably one of the it's the hardest part because once you're in you just don't quit it's on you you control your outcome to a large extent i mean you can always get hurt something could come up but getting in was the the hardest part so i had my work cut out Um, graduated in 1997 and went to the University of Colorado um, primarily because I thought it was an awesome training environment and I love the mountains anyway and so it was totally me and it was a great place to to prepare for BUDS which is basic underwater demolition seal school. Um, Fortunate to have a lot of lead time to just kind of do one thing every day more or less that prepared me for quali- for you know the the application to the program and whatnot so was able to just over time you know and being focused on it uh, make it happen and became a uh, a commissioned officer in 2002 went straight to buds class 242 and made it through and went on to serve on East Coast SEAL teams. I served at a special boat team and also at West Coast SEAL teams before. Um, 11 years later, I, I was, was leaving this, the service and was doing so to, um, well, and ended up going to uh, UC Berkeley Haas School of Business. That's where I met Moses, Moses Lowe, founder of Send It. He's the mutual contact that uh, got YJ and I together. So that's, a, that's just a quick shot at uh, what got me here to Haas. And then I wanted to, my idea at the time was to, to work in the outdoor industry. 
Um, think Patagonia, North Face, Arcteryx, companies like that. Um, yeah, for the reasons that I, I, I understood that class of goods, like apparel, footwear, backpacks, those are all things that I understand the features and benefits between different models and had a unique user experience, both as a team guy and also just as an, out, an outdoor um, user myself, love mountain biking, rock climbing, running, all those things. So felt I understood the, the class of goods. I love that, that the industry is really built on wild places. If it wasn't for wild places, there wouldn't be a need to have these backpacks and these you know waterproof breathable jackets and all these things. So in addition to that, the whole idea of how do we get more people outdoors? How do I, you know, I learned so much through, through my own experiences in, in the outdoors. Usually you know, learn the most from the hardest, the hardest things. It's usually the things that suck the most that you end up <laughs> valuing the most and looking back on and being glad that it sucked because you got through it and you're looking back on it. And after the fact, you want it to be, a, you want to think that it was as hard as, you know, it could have been. Um, anyway, so for all those reasons, I was I was interested in the outdoor industry. Uh, great, my my mentor at the time uh, was was running a newly created innovation position there at the North Face. He wanted he wanted me. He was um, willing to under, understood that though I didn't have any experience in that industry, he had seen my intangibles. He knew my work ethic and um, a lot of just important kind of soft skills and intangibles about me. And he was committed to de- making, in- making sure I was developed um, to be successful in that new, in that new, uh, that new industry. So it was great working for him. And it's been, it's been two years now that um, I've been the project manager of, of product innovation there at the North Face. So all the leadership skills and all the strategizing and uh, analyzing all these skills that you developed in the SEALs, do you feel like that transferred to your life now, your job now? God, everything builds. Everything builds. Um, That's where you can't, you can't waste time worrying or being, you know, worrying about a bad opportunity because in some way, shape or form, like that helps make you who you are and you're just going to build on it. So everything I'm doing now is in some way, shape or form there because of my past. It's in the, the, just the, the journey, the path that got me, got me here. So yes. And sometimes you can't put your finger really on why you, what, what makes you tick. Um, it's really complicated. Sometimes, you know, you can, you can, if you sit there and think long and hard, you can, you know, you can identify those people that, that really maybe, you know, made the difference in your life, or you can, you can think back to those. Sometimes there are singular moments that, that you can, um, where you can say, yeah, my life changed right there. But, uh, it's gosh, everything is, is connected and there's like no start, you know, there's really no start point other than the very, very beginning. Cause it's just a total continuum. So you think like when you're born, that's just kind of like you're given those cards and the world is kind of just like, all right, go have at it. And it's up to you to just make mold that into what it is. That's, there's a lot of, 
there are a lot of different opinions on, you know, this is an area where, where some think that the path is already set and we just are going through it. Um, and it's healthy to a degree to just, you know, know the things that you don't control um, and just really and be able to kind of be at peace with that. But more importantly, or maybe equally importantly, just what are the things that are yours to control? And keep your eye on that stuff. Think long and hard about, about those things. I think military service, the way I approach missions, one mantra that I remember, and this is one of those things that I heard a while back and it will always be a part of my, kind of my, my approach is that hope's not a strategy. As a leader, if you just hope the mission goes well, hope there's not an ID on that road, hope the weather holds up, the list goes on and on. But if that's your, if that's your strategy, stand by. So I think my time in helped me really realize that, that I need to, that I have a lot to, a lot of work, a lot of work to do to make sure, to ensure that mission is, is successful. And that, that starts way before actually stepping out the door and doing a mission. That starts way back. So I'll kind of get, get into a, so you, you said at the beginning how there's, there's kind of a list of buzzwords that you shared with me. And I checked, I, I have it here in front of me. I, I spent the last few days kind of looking at these and, and some of them, you know, I, I really only wanted to respond or engage on, on these where I, I felt I really had something to say. And it was, and so I, I will, but I've also gone on and just kind of pulled together some topics that I think would be relevant to your audience. And one of them is about preparation and planning and really understanding like what, what the difference is between those two. And it, again, this ties, this kind of ties back to, um, is, are, is the path just set and you walk it or no, I mean, I, you, you have such a heavy hand and so much that you can do to influence a successful outcome. So the preparation phase, uh, I'll, again, for this conversation, I'll, I'll kind of lean heavily on, on what I learned in those, in those, uh, 11 years from 2002 to 2013 in the, in the teams. For a SEAL platoon, the preparation phase is really 18 months before, before you actually deploy and go down range. The platoon go, has 18 months according to the model. Now things don't always go, use, I was on a lot of accelerated workups, but the model is 18 months of preparation before you go downrange. And in that, in that time, you have about, you know, the platoon forms up, so that's like 16 guys and at EOD Tech, usually you know, there's others that can get assigned to a platoon, but 
the group, the core of the platoon, like, comes together. And these are people with maybe three combat, three deployments under their belt, and there are a lot of new guys that this is their first, this is their first deployment that they're, that they're preparing for. And that prep, so during that preparation phase, you go through, again, you form up, everyone's there, everyone, it's critical that even though you might have some total badasses that have been in Afghanistan, been in Iraq, been in some other, you know, hot spots before, you know, and they have all their experiences and they know their stuff. Um, they haven't worked with, like, no one has worked together at that point. When a platoon forms up, no one has kind of that common baseline established. It's just a bunch of individuals. And so it's critical in that preparation phase to really come together and gel as a team and figure out your own best practices, your own, we call them SOP, standard operating procedures. Like everyone needs to align on, so it's like that alignment is critical. Like before you even worry about learning new skills, you just need to like meet each other where you're at and align. And in that preparation phase, that's where we would go through like land warfare training, close quarters combat, maritime operations, diving operations, um, free fall parachuting, all these different, you know, military operations in urban terrain, all these different training blocks that we go through with that six, that group of 16 guys. And we, we are finding that baseline, uh, among us, among us all. And it's there that you are just doing iteration after iteration. So if it's, let's say it's room clearance, we would practice those skills over and over and over with, with debriefs every time. That is critical, is to have that feedback mechanism mm-hmm. of, you know, you clear the house, which means, you know, you, the team enters a structure that has some hostiles, hostiles in it, let's say, in addition to other people that just live there, civilians, innocents, you know, and you go through and you clear all the rooms, you deal with what you got to deal with, and then, boom, the, the target's secure, that's kind of, it's kind of done at that point. Everyone goes back to the front, goes through a debrief process. Hey, you know, what, what went down in there? And sometimes it was a good, it was good to see, you know, in, in some cases having the junior person give the debrief was really important to just see things through. I mean, gosh, so critical to know how your most junior person is experiencing things and what what's on their mind and to have the junior guy step up for one thing it's an opportunity for them to step up and it it reminds them that at any point in time like you got to be able to step up and like hey what'd you see just we don't expect you to have seen everything but like what'd you see and then we do that every single time um that those formal debriefs and got so many times in that in the preparation phase that's when I think of the preparation phase, I think of long days running into long nights where chief petty officers who are kind of the senior enlisted in a platoon, they're the tactical, a lot of times they are the tactical experts and it's really up to them like um, when things are good to go, like when, when they're satisfied with, with, like, with how the platoon's performing. Um, often I have so many memories of chief petty officers just being like, nope, one more round, like not good enough. That took too long. 
that was we got to do that again. So go, you know, reload, refit. We're getting back, you know, and then we'll we'll head back downrange. And oh, you know, a lot of times guys would get kind of roll their eyes, but but everyone understood. I mean, no one complained. You just you understand like what we're doing. Like we're preparing to go to war here, and this is how great teams operate. And so we would just so that was so preparation. If if you do it correct, and you you know you just you make sure that there's that feedback mechanism going. You're debriefing all these things, and that you're just relentless, and you don't you don't stop until you're certain everyone has or that the platoon is you know ready to move on to the next skill. That makes it so that when you get to the planning phase, planning can be sometimes as simple as the five W's for a mission. So like so, so the planning phase, I think of it as in this kind of analogy, or imagine that platoon that did all the preparation right. You know, they, they deploy downrange. They're now in country. Let's say they're in Iraq. They're, and they're doing missions. And one night something happens where a mission comes up and you don't always get a whole lot of time to prepare or plan for it. Um, if you did the preparation work right, planning can be really quick because you've established your SOPs, you have that baseline set. Mm-hmm. So it could be, in some cases, it was as simple as what's the grid coordinate we're going to? What's the timeline? Who's the target? What do they look like? Quick terrain study, you know, make sure you're, you've got the right frequencies to talk to whoever else you need to talk to on the battlefield. And you can brief your guys in just a few minutes, sometimes just next to the truck, say, hey, it's going to be like, the, remember how we did it last time? Yeah, just like that, except in this case, these are the changes, boom, 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 got it. Everyone's like, roger that. You know that if things come up, you're going to react to those based on SOP, you know, because you've, if you've rehearsed those SOPs and done all that preparation correctly, when, when you're actually doing the mission and something happens, a vehicle goes down or just whatever, there's so many things that could happen, you're, uh, you guys just know how to react. And so that allows you to get, that allows you to be very nimble and, again, launch out on, on, on really short notice if you do the preparation work right. Um, yeah. So if, if, if you find yourself with a, with a job in hand and all of a sudden it's like, you, you know, you're figuring out some really basic kind of thing. Like, whoa, we need a, we, wow, we've, uh, this is totally new. We've never seen this before. Um, gosh, we, I think we need like a couple weeks to really like go through, like you didn't do your preparation. In that case, you didn't do your preparation right. Now, not all businesses or not all teams like have, are set up in this. This is just, this is an example of how, how our training was established and um, I've noticed that not certainly no not all teams, not everyone has a luxury of setting things up this way necessarily. But I would argue that people should take a take some time to think through how can are there things you can do to kind of formalize a, a pre, do something about preparation, kind of like how I spoke to it, a preparation light mm-hmm. with your team. Um, what can you yeah? What can you what can you take away from? from this example, what can you implement so that when it comes time to, to do it, you can, you're actually 
you can do it rather quickly, roll out the door with confidence. Well, that is one of the parallels that like, I wanted to bring up is um, within the military, the training that they give you, and you brought this up before as well, is having a clear commander's intent mm-hmm. allows people to act um, very, uh, in a very focused manner in uh, high uncertainty uh, situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, like, the way you do that in the world of in the military and in the business world is um, there must be some very distinct differences in setting that commander's intent and also uh, creating those feedback loops so that you can very directly um, go from here's our hypothesis of how this is going to affect our journey to whatever the goal is um, here's what we're here's the action that we're going to take and here's the feedback in the military there's one way of doing that and in business uh, there's a whole other way of, of how that loop is formed so how have you felt sort of the discrepancies in the same system now that you've come out and sort of experienced the same sort of uh, structures in in uh, at the North Face Yeah, com- commander's intent, man, I, I can't help but think about what enables that to be, that, that whole thing you described is, is very, it's very difficult for very centralized companies or teams to succeed. I, I can't help but think that Decentralized command and control is a critical is a critical like prerequisite to to really enabling that to to allowing to making it so that a commander just simply has to give their intent and then stand back and watch their guys or girls like execute you know brilliantly and and achieve the desired outcome in a way that the commander's like, oh my God, I, I couldn't be happier with that outcome and I would have never thought to do it that way. You know, that's the, the saying is you can't tell someone what, what to do and how to do it. Like you can't, you shouldn't be able to tell them both. Like you should either basically a, in the SEAL teams, a commander should be able to simply say, turn to a guy and say, secure that hill. And it's like task and purpose. Your task is to secure that hill. The purpose is to make sure no enemy move through that valley without paying the man for it. You know, that's it. Like, and there are times in combat where it's so, there's so much going on that Commanders need to be able to lead in that in that kind of manner where you're just you're just giving your intent for all these things. Secure that hill, hold that door, prep for extract. You got so many other things going on, you can't you can't take the time to to explain to all these different team people like what they need to do. 
And again, I, when I say how decentralized command and control comes to mind, um, that's one of those topics that I, I spent some time thinking about and wrote down because it's, it's really, it's critical. It, I've, I've seen, if you want to, if you want to understand like a good book to read on, on like on this topic would be Team of Teams by General Stanley McChrystal. Um, he was the commander of Joint Special Operations Command for a, some pretty heavy years during the, the global war on terror. And um, the book's about a lot of things, but a lot of it's about kind of what he inherited when he stepped into that role. Um, it, it was a bunch of different teams that were kind of the army guys were kind of competing with the Navy guys. And there wasn't like kind of one team, one fight wasn't necessarily and it's true. And it wasn't necessarily working that way. There was, again, there was a lot of different things going on and he really unified that, that organization and practice decentralized command and control. So that what that really means is, what it means to me is that a leader is constantly trying to kind of push responsibilities down to the lowest level possible in their organization. And one way to, you know, it, it varies from, from team to team. You know, like if, if all you have is a bunch of kind of newbies, rookies, or just people that, you know, you, the experience level's low, um, then maybe you can't, you realize that you can't, you can't push too much down before things get a little bit chaotic. And the rule in terms of like how far down do you push, one way I've heard it is like, Try to decentralize to the point where it kind of begins to get, it gets a little, little chaotic and then ratchet it up a notch. And like more or less like that's, that's the thought. But I mean, doing that for one thing, for, for a commander, like I think it's critical that you, if, if you're, you need to make, you need to have some some extra mind space in the event that something big happens, you need to be able to step away from whatever it is you were just doing and just really focus on, you know, big picture things. You should be able to step away from just the day to day or, you know, running your element and just step away from that and focus on the new thing that just came up that requires, you know, some, some heavy big picture thinking. Um, so the only way you can do that is if the, one of the ways you can, that sets you up for that is if you've always just tried to push skills as low, as far down your organization as possible. So that, I mean, some of the nice things that happen when you do that is your lowest members realize that they're going to be called upon to step up and step into things. Um, they feel empowered. They feel that they're given... Another thing, like, yeah, they feel like they're given kind of authorities and, and uh, they're, res they're entrusted to do some pretty, pretty important things for the team. And that just engenders a lot of positive, that, that builds strong teamwork right there. Um, 
So again, it makes people, every, makes everyone feel engaged. It helps people cross train and makes you know that, Hey, I need to kind of start, I need to know some of these other jobs because at any time I might be told to, to kind of run things, or I might be given a task and I need to be able to pull these three people together and go do that task, you know? Um, so there's, there's a ton to that topic. I think it's, again, it's, it's a, there's a lot of, yeah, just go read that book. Go read Team of Teams. Share it with your team. It'd be well worth your time. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Um, it's such a fascinating thing about the SEALs, and not just the SEALs, but particularly the SEALs, is the level of mental toughness that you're able to breed across the entire organization and the discipline and when once you come out of the military uh, once you come out of service um, you seem to be able to hold on to that those learnings and apply it to all sorts of different walks of life whether it be business or uh, whatever hobby you might be pursuing and I wanted to pick your brain on how what, what are the strategies that you use to keep that up because even after years of cultivating that yeah. in, in such a regimented um, place, you need to be able. To, you need to deliberately keep it. Uh, yeah. Keep it polished. One thing you and I spoke with or spoke about last week was you're only as good as your last op. 